Welcome to Disrupt, a podcast of the Cedarville University Center for Pharmacy Innovation. Today on the podcast, we will be discussing artificial intelligence in pharmacy practice. I am joined by Luke Menon, Health Systems Pharmacy Administration and Leadership Resident at the Cleveland Clinic. Thanks again for joining us on Disrupt. It's a pleasure today to have Luke Minnan on the podcast with us today. Luke is a first-year health system pharmacy administration and leadership resident at the Cleveland Clinic main campus. He's currently pursuing his Master of Science in Health System Pharmacy Administration from Northeast Ohio Medical University, Neomed, and recently graduated from Cedarville University School of Pharmacy, both with his PharmD and MBA. I'm also joined by Matt Miracle, one of our student innovators with the center. Welcome to the podcast, Luke. Happy to be here. Hey, Justin. Hey, Matt. I'm excited for our conversation. Definitely a pertinent and hot topic. It's good to have you here. And first, I wanted to say congrats. It's not often you have to wait a second year due to a pandemic to come back and do your graduation ceremonies and everything like that. But it is good to see you here again and have you back on campus. Yeah, I echo that. It's good to have you back on campus, and, and welcome to the studio. Probably the first time you've gotten to see it. Uh, so to get us started, Luke, I'd love to have you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your training, and how you ended up at the Cleveland Clinic. Yeah, this amazing studio, too. Uh, a little bit about myself. Originally from Carmel, Indiana, a little north of Indianapolis. Went to pharmacy uh, school at Cedarville University. And I actually did my APPEs or APPEs at the Cleveland Clinic, uh, being able to be exposed to both the clinical and administrative side of pharmacy within that experience. And I, I really fell in love with it. Um, after that, I was interested in pursuing a residency, a two-year residency in health system pharmacy administration and leadership, applied to the Cleveland Clinic, uh, and I'm happy to be working there now and learning so much. So Luke, can you explain more to our listeners about what a health system pharmacy administration and leadership program looks like and why this training was important to you? And maybe a second thing would be, why do you think it's important in pharmacy practice today? Yeah, that, that's a great question, Justin. With this uh, residency program, it's a two-year program where you are really exposed to the clinical side of pharmacy in that first year, learning from great preceptors uh, about what does pharmacy look like in the inpatient setting and being able to connect with providers within pharmacy, outside of pharmacy, and learning that clinical background. And in that second year, you really dive into the administrative side of pharmacy, learning what does pharmacy leadership look like in health system pharmacy. And with this experience that I've had thus far, it's been nice having a little bit of a hybrid that first year, being exposed to that, claw, uh, that strong clinical uh, very robust exposure that I've had, and then getting a little taste of administration. Uh, looking forward to uh, next year uh, and being a part of this health system. During your time at school, you tend to not have a lot of opportunity to look into what does administration look like. It's a lot of the clinical knowledge instead, which is understandable. We want to make sure that pharmacists that we train are great, great clinicians, of course. Um, but now that you've had that little taste, especially of the administrative side, um, in your time at the Cleveland Clinic so far, what's an important lesson you think you've learned from it? Yeah, and I, I think you bring up a good point of being exposed to leadership within pharmacy early on as a student. I was very involved with pharmacy organizations at Cedarville University and being able to learn what that looks like working with diverse uh, people and personalities and being exposed to that spurred me on into an interest within health system pharmacy administration and leadership. And in what I've learned um, from my time at the Cleveland Clinic is a lot, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, but with uh, the, the power of relationships and being able to connect with people, whether that be pharmacy technicians, clinicians, as well as administrative team, and then even people outside of pharmacy, and what does that look like with being able to connect with different individuals to really put a focus on our patients 
there's a, a strong need for leadership uh, within healthcare, within, especially within pharmacy. So being able to learn the importance of relationships and how can we best work together to help our patients as well as communicate uh, effectively. And then another thing that I've learned is the importance of clarifying expectations with the teams that you're working with. Sometimes you think that certain things uh, might be, hey, this is what I think should happen or what is expected. But then when you converse with other people, you learn a lot about what their mindset was and be able to work with them to really pr produce uh, amazing patient care for the patients that we're serving. So in a sense, based on a lot of the experiences that you did have with extracurricular activities and organizational leadership while you were in the graduate school, it's almost kind of the next step, just a, a natural progression from you started there, now you're at this next part, and wherever, you, wherever you're taken after that is kind of where things will go next as well, so... Yeah, mo cool. most definitely. It's it's a it was a, a fire that was <laughs> burning inside of me being involved with pharmacy organizations, and seeing the impact that I was able to have as well as learning and and seeing passion within students and be able to to connect them with different opportunities as well as uh, lead different initiatives. Uh, something that was exciting to be a part of, and I wanted to continue to be a part of it, and look forward to doing that post residency as well. Well, Luke, you bring up a lot of lessons that for anyone that desires to have influence, we should be thinking about relationships, communication. I think there's something else as you and I have been conversing this year that you've been learning a lot about, and that's our topic for today, artificial intelligence. So yes. tell us, how did you get interested in this topic and what have you, um, what have you done to start learning about artificial intelligence and how that may impact pharmacy practice into the future? Yeah, I, <laughs> great question, Justin. Within leadership within pharmacy, we're always looking for an avenue to improve patient care, to be more efficient, or to find ways of just working better with the resources that we have. And with that, artificial intelligence is definitely a, a hot topic. And being able to learn about artificial intelligence and its role outside of healthcare and how it's been beneficial for companies as well as uh, even now with companies within healthcare, seeing the role of, of taking large amounts of information and, and organizing it in a way that can really help lead new practice, improve practice, uh, or just more efficiency uh, within healthcare. It's, it's exciting stuff and we're just getting started on it too. Great, so let's pause here and I wanna ask you a simple question. How would you define artificial intelligence? What even are we talking about when we use this big, broad umbrella term that gets thrown around a lot? Yeah, you, you ask anyone that question, you'll get a, a mixture of different responses. Uh, so to, to me, my definition of artificial intelligence is uh, uh, having computers or machine uh, learning uh, is an example of artificial intelligence. And having the ability to take information, large amounts of information, and organizing it in a way that we can learn something from that information and, and apply it to help improve a process. Uh, within that process, it's, it's pharmacy and within healthcare. The, in simple terms, to answer your question, artificial intelligence is the ability to take machines and have them think like us in a way. But with that, we also have unique skills or a perspective that we cannot apply to artificial intelligence. So with that, trying to give it the, the most ability to think like us that we can uh, to be beneficial for us. With that, there's kind of this big umbrella of terms that people kind of think about when they hear artificial intelligence. Things like maybe metadata they've heard in the news or something like that. Uh, big data is another one. Would you say that these kind of point towards the same idea or are these maybe little subsections of the same topic? Yeah, these are, yes, uh, like me uh, metadata, big data, all branches of artificial intelligence. And with that, just different ways of utilizing it uh, or different branches of categories within artificial intelligence. Uh, so uh, again, being able to organize that big data or with machine learning organizing or applying traits within uh, our technology to help better serve us. 
I just have to say here, I think it's interesting that we even attribute the term intelligence to anything that's not human, right? Yeah. Uh, I, the, we, we really see humans as uh, being created with unique abilities. And one of those is to demonstrate a true intelligence, rational thought, an ability to think abstractly about ideas that are not shared by any other aspects of creation. And so uh, I think it's just a, an interesting term that's used for a machine that's actually uh, created by people, right? Um, and, and, and yet that's the term that's used most commonly. So we're going to keep running with it, but I think that's a, an, uh, a good aside for us to, to stop and pause on. Um, so I'd love for you to give us some examples of artificial intelligence in our everyday lives that listeners probably have experienced. I think this may help to solidify this idea as we launch into talking about it within pharmacy. So what are some of those examples that you have seen that maybe we experience every day but just aren't aware of as much? Yeah, we, we, we always think of artificial intelligence in a sense of, of, of robots and this very, very advanced use of technology, but like like you said, we see it on a daily basis. You you go in to type in an email and you get a suggested uh, recommendation or editing within that email. That's artificial intelligence anticipating what you might be trying to type out or what you commonly type out or write to people in your emails. That's the use of artificial intelligence. Whenever you're on Amazon or, or shopping online, and you, you buy a certain product, and below you see suggested products for you, or you might like this, that's taking the information of your past, even search history or purchase history, and saying, you might like this based on what we've seen. Those, those are commonly uh, perceived as artificial intelligence that is used on, in our everyday lives, and it's something that you might not connect with it, but it is. And those small, those very small, usually yeah. things like the email nudges that Google Mail does and other things. I might forget that I wrote an email seven days ago and it's something I really need to follow up on. And then it's right there just telling you, hey, you might want to consider thinking about sending a follow up for this or something like that. And while the finishing of my own sentences is kind of weird, <laughs> that is pretty helpful at times as well. So Luke, in regards to the Cleveland Clinic and artificial intelligence there, how did this program get started? And maybe do you utilize your AI in, well, I guess, in which way? How do you utilize your AI? Is it drug interactions or trying to search for alternative agents or is it something else entirely? Yeah, and it started off as there was, there was one pharmacist that was in our informatics department. Uh, let's just say there's not one pharmacist now. There's <laughs> around 30 to 50 people that are in our informatics department working on different pro uh, projects that are helping better pharmacy or be, be more, again, the efficiency or seeing a process that can be improved. And with a lot of the projects that they are working on is artificial intelligence based, is trying to identify commonly uh, identified orders uh, and then creating uh, specific order sets to help direct providers as well as pharmacists to make, hey, these are the common doses or frequency that you would see in our patient population. So based on that, these are the options that you can pick from. So instead of going in to a, uh, a database and type, typing out a prescription that has no direction at all, um, there's nudges and, hey, this is what's recommended, uh, me picking from these options. Uh, so that that's a, a, an example of artificial intelligence. And then kind of how you said with drug interactions within our pre-verification uh, process uh, with our pharmacy department, there are specific alerts that can come up saying, hey, there's an interaction with this. Are you aware of this? Is this something that would cause a intervention to be or a conversation to be had. Um, so it, it's identifying different things instead of us having to go in uh, to LexiComp and typing out all the medications that a patient might be on. It provides quick alerts to help us be, again, more efficient uh, and even from a patient safety standpoint as well. Just a couple examples. So I guess 
this is a pretty big production then. Oh, definitely. Going from one to, I think you mentioned 50 <laughs> people there. Um, so quite a bit more than I guess I had even anticipated. You know, you'd expect maybe a couple dozen people, yeah. something like that, working on this. So it's a pretty large program. And then I just had a quick question as well regarding the, you, you mentioned it'll give a notification. So I'd assume you're working in the medical record and or the dispensing uh whatever the The queue whatever it might be yeah and then a lot of times like in my experience for example you get we we always talk about alert fatigue are these different alerts or is it a bit i don't want to say conversational because you know it's a computer at the other end that's talking to you but is it a bit more like the hey you really do want to stop and consider this instead of the check yes to move on to the next step yeah i with that, it's, again, alert fatigue is something that is important to consider. With these alerts that are provided, it's very simple and succinct with the information that it provides. So it will say, here's here's a drug, here's a drug. This is a potential interaction, or this is the potential impact of this. So it's not just saying, hey, watch out for this. It provides that direction based on information, like large information, that, that big data, um, or even information from other resources or guidelines or from studies saying this is something that you should consider and look out for. So, I mean, there's always that chance of alert fatigue, but it's, they're very, very tactical in how they create these alerts to make sure that it's pertinent to the patient and always considering safety um, and efficiency. And then the alert itself is a lot more valuable too, because you, you'll go on Lexi, for example, or, or Micromedics or whoever, put in two drugs, and it'll say, based on this genetic interaction, it might potentiate the toxic effects. And then, then that's another step. I have to go and think about, well, what's a toxic effect that's going to yeah. happen from this? And at what dose should I start expecting it then? Well, I can't necessarily predict that, but I guess that's an area where your AI probably can. Most definitely. And uh, I briefly talked about medication and medication interactions. It also takes into account uh, different things within the patient's uh, like health. Um, so if like a, a female is um, within the typical um, like timeline of potentially being pregnant, hey, this is a medication that can interact with that. It's best to know that information instead of trying to have to dig through the records and find out uh, different lab values, um, as well as different medications that the patient can be on. So it's, I mean, these alerts are very, very tactical and a lot of time has been put into how, how best can we use these alerts to impact patient care? We don't want it to be just something that you just look at and then it's, Hey, we, we did our due diligence, but it's, it's very tactical in how we're using these resources you guys have brought up some really important points that I uh, would love to highlight. One being the growth of informatics pharmacist. I think a lot of our listeners probably don't understand the massive growth that has happened as far as jobs go in the pharmacy space, where if you have someone that's interested in computers or this idea of AI, wow, what a great time to be pursuing those types of positions within pharmacy. I I think that's a, a big thing to highlight. Um, another thing that is that, uh, as you've already kind of alluded to, AI is much broader than just simply alerts in electronic health record or something else. It can be more proactive. Um, it can identify, let's say, a patient who's admitted with suspected sepsis. It mm-hmm. may do the scoring in the background for you based on clinical presentation or lab values or the parameters and then say, hey, we think this patient needs to be on antibiotics and you need to start them right now. Like this has massive potential to really help guide us in a way that ultimately at the end of the day improves patient care. And I I also think it's important for us to keep that in the back of our minds. This isn't simply about trying to be more efficient. It isn't simply about trying to provide a higher level of care. At the end of the day, the use of AI really needs to be driven by patient outcomes, right? Most definitely. And I, I know that's what you guys are working on as, um, uh, as you work on that at the Cleveland Clinic. So um, a- another thing um, that I'd love to kind of take maybe a broader picture look at is AI use in pharmacy systems as a whole. So not just maybe in a health system like the Cleveland Clinic where you work, but 
pharmacy practice in general. So um, it, let's think about like drug shortages and other stuff. Where are some other areas that we see AI already being used within the medication use system as a whole? Yeah, I, and we've talked a lot about inpatient, but with that, there's definitely an impact that can be made in all areas of healthcare, all areas of pharmacy. I'll, I'll touch on something that we uh, have at the Cleveland Clinic, but I've also seen at different outpatient settings as well with different scoring tools. And you, you touched on it a little bit with identifying different medications that might be renally dosed and alerting uh, an outpatient pharmacist or inpatient pharmacist, hey, this is something that you should be aware of and is it dosed appropriately? Or even uh, looking at different, uh, like do not crush list medications. These are things that you should be aware of. Um, and based on that patient's current state, we might need to adjust different things. Uh, and, and with that, there's a list of different things that go into those scoring tools that factor into potentially reducing uh, remittance, um, helping with compliance, uh, helping with overall being aware of different things that might impact the patients that we're serving. Um, even touching on uh, like medication adherence and drug recalls, um, specifically with drug recalls, being able to use AI to identify different trends to see, hey, are there issues of uh, this medication being re returned to different drug companies or even drug shortages. I think that's a very big thing and identifying potentially different, uh, like, I mean, even the pandemic, what is that pandemic impacted with drug production in different areas within the world? And how can we use artificial intelligence to be tactical and how we are supplying drugs, ordering drugs and delivering uh, medications? Just a couple uses, and it's exciting seeing there's so much potential with all this information that we have, organizing it uh, effectively. So regarding drug shortages, not that I, I want to stay on that for a long time, but in the last year, there's probably been, I guess you might have the data for this, there's <laughs> probably been more drug shortages in the last year than in the last five for example. Almost and definitely. I, I even know that at the pharmacy that I were, was working at, every week I went in, there was another drug that we were not able to get access to. And then by the end of the day, we probably added another one or two to that list just because we needed to order it, not necessarily to say that it was on back order, or having trouble getting produced or anything like that. So I guess starting maybe about a year ago for, from your experience then, what did these alerts look like and how did they kind of help you guys mitigate the issues that you were potentially going to have with drug supply chain? Yeah, I, I think with, with currently with drug shortages, I think it's more of an opportunity uh, that AI can be used. Um, as of my knowledge, it's a lot of alerts from different drug companies or even looking into potential uh, maybe even uh, specific events that are occurring like across uh, the world that might be impact like, like like a like a hurricane or a natural disaster mm -hmm. hey this took place this is where this medication is produced yeah that might impact things down the road okay so that's even in a totally different way than i thought i'm thinking i i immediately started thinking hey a lot of people seem to be ordering this one oh, you probably good, can't yeah. get it but i had never considered that it can go and grab data and say in such and such country across the world, there was an earthquake and, or a hurricane or whatever. And, um, they happen to have a factory there and that's the only place that it's produced. So maybe in about a week you might expect this to be short or something mm -hmm. like that. I had never even considered like up until you said that I had never considered that that would even be something that your specific AI might be looking at which is amazing because that's even, I mean, you think about the drug supply chain and how interconnected it is with such an international network. Almost oh, definitely. And my first thought of there's an earthquake somewhere is never going to be, I'm going to run out of lisinopril in a week. <laughs> yeah. So that's cool. That's super cool. Um, thanks for letting us uh, hear about that. Yeah. And even going off of your point, it, it does impact potentially with AI identifying, hey, we're using this medication a lot. 
Um, I know with different uh, COVID-19 therapies that use of those medications is a lot more popular now than it was a couple of years back. So how do we tactically order these medications based on this quick need for it and using artificial intelligence to gather information on how many are we using a day, a week, a month, and how can we tactically order this medication or even disperse it across different health systems um, to be more efficient with the resources that we have, knowing that a lot of these medications can be pretty pricey. We want to be tactical in how we use these. And if we can limit waste, um, that's that's a big win as well. And then kind of to what Dr. Cole was saying as well, where we want to make sure we're amplifying patient outcomes. This computer can probably be almost running a study in the background and saying, not only have we given it to this many people, but this is what they look like. These are the demographic breakdowns. This is what they looked like when they came in. And this is um, maybe their outcome, something like Mm -hmm. that. And you can start, I guess, I guess the computer kind of does all the work for you. Like we just talked about at the beginning as well. So that's cool. Yep. Some other places that I've read about artificial intelligence being used within the medication use system as a whole include drug development and research. So a lot of people may not know, but even to find various chemical compounds that they believe might interact with a particular receptor in our bodies or an enzyme in our bodies, drug manufacturers are using artificial intelligence and machine learning to narrow down their list of potential compounds to study. So it's even being used on the very front end of uh, drug discovery. And another that I've read about is when a company is trying to find patients for a particular clinical trial, they can actually use big data to identify the patients that fit the criteria for their individual study. So uh, I think we've, uh, you guys have pointed out some really great examples of how across the whole medication use system, from drug discovery and development to the end outcome of patient care from receiving a medication, AI is everywhere already. And I think we're only starting to see the beginnings of how it's going to be used. So with that, I want to transition and ask a, a different question of you, Luke, and that is that some people probably are listening and thinking, all right, if computers can do all this, will it actually replace human jobs? And in this aspect, we're talking about within a pharmacy. Um, so if, if machines are so smart that they can make these decisions for us and, and almost approach clinical judgment, will that impact the job market? So I'd love to hear your thoughts, Luke. Is this something that is really a concern or are we imagining this? Yeah, no, I, definitely a, cons, a concern see, seeing, hey, if all all this technology is doing these amazing things, what about me? Like, what's my role within this? And it's a very collaborative environment. It's the person plus the computer is better than either one alone. That's That's what I believe in. And technology is not there to replace us. It's there to help us make our jobs a lot faster, a lot easier, or, uh, or to allow us to be able to invest more in those tasks that are very, very complex, that artificial intelligence cannot assess how a patient looks when you're uh, doing like a counseling session. And they can't assess if they are understanding the information or not. As humans, we have that even the emotional intelligence or that ability to read a room and change how we are conversing with our patients. And again, it offers the ability for us to invest more in the clinical services that we can provide. Our, our also our role with these, these things are not just created out of thin air. Um, wish, I wish it was that easy, but we have a role in the creation of these artificial intelligence tools because we are working with the patients, we're working with the different providers where we can identify different areas where artificial intelligence can be best utilized. And once these tools are an idea, they need to be developed. So we play a big role in the development of these tools and being able to work best for what we actually are seeing in real life uh, and working with different programmers 
to create these tools uh, to, to, I mean, to, to be more efficient. And then once these things are developed, we also have to monitor them. Um, it's not something where you create it, it's good to go, and we don't need to do anything else. But we need to make sure that these tools are evaluating and collecting the information that is most beneficial for us. And then even tweaking it in different ways based on different changes within just time or in the, in the care that we provide because guidelines change, practice changes, pandemics happen. So with that, we have to adapt and artificial intelligence can adapt a little bit, but with that, they, they artificial intelligence relies on us to, to create, develop and monitor these, these technology. So that's an area there where the, we would naturally see the pharmacist can get in. They can help, for example, whoever might be typing away, I, I guess, I don't really know what this looks like in terms of yeah. code or whatever, but um, the interpretation of a guideline, the little nuances to it, you need that clinical knowledge because if you just throw a, you know, a clinical guideline paper into a computer and say, figure it out, well, it's probably going to do some weird stuff if it even gets to the point of being effective. And I guess originally I was thinking of this more in terms of pharmacists for the jobs, but something instead now that I'm considering is this might naturally be a good fit for technician advancement as well, where especially in recent years with a technician shortage and other things, there's been this consideration of we want to make sure that these jobs look like careers for people because they technicians are skilled labor and um, having, I mean, you guys can imagine having a, a good technician and they stay with you for years. They grow in their skills even more. Um, they learn so much while they're on the job. They become better at what they're doing and skills continue to increase in that sense. Um, and especially with the requirements for um, licenses or mm -hmm. um, certifications or whatever they might be for them. Now the, the issue then still comes in with, well, we still want opportunities for somebody to uh, step into a role. But then looking back as well in the last year where, for example, technicians have in certain areas uh, been able to start doing what we'd consider more clinical work instead, like vaccinations, for mm -hmm. example. Um, not that this is representative of every technician, but the ones that I've regularly worked with at least say, I'd, I'd prefer that you do that instead because you, you do the clinical stuff. I want to do the technical work. I want to I talk to the patients, um, for example, in retail with sales or something like that. Make sure that they're taken care of, but let's leave the clinical knowledge to the, the clinical side of the team. Um, but in this, in this scenario, at the very least, with the computer and the system needing to be managed, this might be a natural area for somebody else to kind of step into that role from a traditional technician setting instead. Yeah, it's, it's most, it's definitely a, a mixture too with that growth within our informatics department. That's not just pharmacists too. Uh, pharmacists, technicians, uh, people that are invested in being able to create, develop and monitor these, these artificial intelligence tools. Um, so they, technicians play a big role in helping develop these processes. Uh, Cause I mean, they are on the front lines seeing uh, how can we best optimize delivery of medications? How can we best optimize the ordering of, of uh, medications? So I think those are just a couple of examples and that this is uh, something that it really impacts all levels of pharmacy. And it's exciting to see what role we continue to have within that as, as we're just, just hitting the edge of it too. So you've brought up a topic that we'll probably explore in a future podcast, and that's the idea of pharmacy informatics. I think that's the engine behind the creation of AI technology in pharmacy. So I'd love to know, within your Cleveland Clinic team, you talk about this uh, robust team that you have in informatics. Give us a, a feel for the type of training that a pharmacist would need to have if they were wanting to pursue being a part of a pharmacy informatics team. Yeah, I, I think it's a, a great question in a question for a lot of people is what is what is pharmacy uh, informatics, and we we do have a a PGY two um, or a second year residency program 
in pharmacy uh, informatics. So they, we have that training available and there's, there's numerous programs across the country uh, where you can get that specialized exposure um, to ideas of artificial intelligence or optimizing uh, different uh, like uh, EMRs uh, to best serve our patients. But I think from an education standpoint that can, it's not just that second year or residency uh, background. I think it's being able to have these conversations and, and learn about like, what, what are we currently doing within this realm of artificial intelligence and, and be able to tell them what we're doing and then asking for feedback uh, and then talking through what role they can play. I think a lot of it has to be with just the identification of, of what their role can be within this whole process and what that looks like. Um, I think it'll be a, a focus moving forward on that education or that awareness of how we can best optimize the technology that we have. Cause there's so much technology around us and so much data around us, but what do we do with it? I think that's the big question. And I'm, I'm curious to see what the future looks like for that as well. In regards to training, you kind of mentioned there, there are groups around the country and probably the world as well that you could call up to. Um, do you send people or do you, I guess like what does the workflow for this training look like? Do you call somebody, find, find a website where somebody says I can teach you all the ins and outs and then they show up, you get some pizzas for your workers or whoever might, might attend for like an interest meeting or is this more, you really need to sit down and do some classes I think it could be a mixture. Um, and this is something that I think it's once you are, I'd say more involved in these types of informatics residencies, or I know a lot of people that have done uh, PGY1s general and then PGY2 in like a, a specialty outside of informatics, uh, like oncology um, or like infectious disease. And you get that clinical background and you get a better understanding of like what are different ways that we can optimize the things that we're seeing. So I know a lot of individuals within the Cleveland Clinic that were serving in clinical roles transitioned into the informatics department because who who best to work on processes of improvement within all the areas within pharmacy than people that were trained and exposed to these specific areas within pharmacy. So it's it's something where, again, getting that education, uh, there's a lot of conferences. Um, I know like Epic, uh, a lot of times they have these conferences where they present different things that are new to their program. And then they offer an opportunity to have some dialogue and, hey, what do you do at your institute? What do you do at your institute to optimize um, the, uh, the, plat the Epic platform? But with that, there's a lot of discussion on, hey, we do this. How do you, wait, how do you do that? <laughs> and what can we learn? So I think just opening the door to these conversations uh, is, is, is big. Yeah, I love that you've highlighted a couple of different pathways that people will take into informatics. It could be a PharmD right out of uh, graduation yeah. that pursues very intentional and specific training as an informatics pharmacist. Or as um, probably during my career I've seen more of is the, the second that you've talked about. And that is a clinician who has practiced for a number of years, then developing the informatics skills afterward um, and being able to contribute to the team. So I, I love that you've highlighted these multiple pathways that pharmacists can take to get into the um, pharmacy informatics space and um, be involved with uh, creating and monitoring AI. So I want to transition and put you on the spot with a quick question, okay? So do you think AI can curb the opioid epidemic? Man, that's, that's, a, that's a great question. I, I think it can definitely play a role with, with the opioid epidemic, definitely another hot topic. Um, I, I think with artificial intelligence, we can really dive into and follow who is distributing these medications, what, uh, what drug companies, what PBMs, what providers are prescribing these medications. Are there trends within that? to certain patients, to uh, certain 
groups of uh, out, uh, like outpatient or inpatient institutes, and then seeing also where are these medications going to tracking that uh, specific patient. That would be very, very difficult as a human to <laughs> go through that spider web of connections and trying to learn and identify that. It's possible. It would definitely take a long, long time. But with artificial intelligence, we can set up technology to identify those trends that we can quickly or a lot faster uh, gather that information to help prevent opioid over, uh, abuse. Um, so I don't, I, I'm excited to see what that could look like. I want to say yes. <laughs> I'm a very, very uh, yeah. optimistic person, uh, but I think it can definitely play a role. And in, in, honestly, it might already be playing a role um, currently. And not that we want to use it as, I, I guess there might be somebody listening and thinking, well, that sounds like you're trying to weaponize data. But we're, we're instead looking at it from the perspective of if I can just show that for I have a computer running stuff in the background for every thousand scripts written in this county specifically that don't come with naloxone. There will be so many number of fatalities, for example, something like that. Or for every however many patients who happen to get the the Trinity combo that we refer to with the a benzo, a muscle relaxant, and then an opioid, something mm -hmm. like that. Um, you, I can't necessarily do that math. But, mm -hmm. or nor would I want to, if I'm honest, <laughs> statistics are statistics. So, um, but you could have at a county level, at a public health level somehow, um, some sort of program running in the background. And then we get back then to, well, this is, you're, you're accentuating better patient care, better patient outcomes. Because the, the worst outcome we can have is, I'm trying to help you. I want to make sure that your pain is relieved, for example. But then you pass away because of either a lack with um, maybe education that was given at point of dispense or point of diagnosis or whatever it might be. Um, but otherwise, just the, the simple math of for every number of people, there's this many doses of naloxone that might need to be given out at a county or whatever sort of level there. So not that that's exactly what you guys are doing with it. Yeah. And I'm not familiar if anybody else is doing something like that right now. But it's it's a start, something like that at least. Yeah, and it's it's all rooted in, in patient safety. I mean, that's that's why we're using this technology, uh, being, being efficient, but the patient safety. And I think you identify some good uses of that. Yeah, the reality is the data is there. And people are already working on these ideas. So we may be thinking of them in a, a more future-oriented uh, reality, but there are people actively doing that, which is, which is really great. So another question for you, Luke. Do you think the COVID-19 pandemic has accelerated or slowed the adoption of AI in the pharmacy world? Yeah, that, I, I, I would say I think it's provided an opportunity. Um, so with that, my, my, my answer is accelerated. Because I think with this COVID-19 pandemic, we were able to see such drastic changes in our healthcare system, in the ordering of different medications, the use, and how we're treating patients. So we are tracking all of that information. And how can we use that information to prevent this from happening again? Or if it does happen, how can we be efficient with that? But then also with uh, this pandemic, a lot of time has been spent more digital or virtual, being able to invest in AI and the development of this resource um, to help prioritize how we are treating our patients for the pandemic, how we are going to even change guidelines and applying those guidelines to our resources. So I would say it's accelerated it, and <laughs> that's probably one of the only things that has been accelerated <laughs> with this pandemic. Uh, but I, I think it opens up an opportunity where we have new information that we can use um, to make sure that we pr can prevent or effectively uh, treat these types of things if they happen in the future. You've mentioned how 
the leveraging of this technology for us as pharmacists, our heart is that we want it to enhance patient care and safety, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, just like any other technology that's um, come into existence, though, these things can be used for good or for ill. Um, and I, I, there may be some hesitancy with some of our listeners about the idea of having so much information gathered on our personal lives and our, our health history. Within the context of healthcare, though, we have information protections that I think um, allow for the proper use of this type of information and um, really help us to fight against any abuse of that. Um, and again, uh, the idea here is if we keep the patient at the front and center of our minds mm -hmm. with every one of these um, these tools that we are creating, I think that's going to help us to leverage this technology in the most positive way that we can. So uh, I'd like you, to Luke, to tell us, are there any resources that you found that you could point our listeners to where they could learn a little bit more about AI? Yeah, I... <laughs> That's a great question. I think there's so many resources out there. Uh, a lot of what I've been able to kind of gather is is going to some of our like our large pharmacy organizations or um, even healthcare organizations and seeing what what's their stance on AI and how do they plan on protecting the patient? How do they plan on like using this technology. So it helps from a guidance of what does the future look like, as well as even uh, researching stuff on even like the policy. Um, I think that's important. Um, so with uh, getting some guidance on what does the future look like, um, I know with uh, HHP, with uh, them putting out what's the next thing in pharmacy uh, with forecasts, I, I think artificial intelligence is brought up uh, numerous times within uh, that, um, like that sphere or within that uh, group. So learning about what that looks like. Also, with different resources, uh, with uh, it's called a book called Deep Medicine. Uh, it written by one of America's top doctors um, and saying, "Hey, here's how AI can empower providers and really revolutionize our patient care." Uh, and even trying to identify different areas, specifically in the different areas of healthcare, whether that be outside of pharmacy, in pharmacy, or in the different avenues that we're treating our patients. So I think that's definitely just <laughs> a couple of resources out there. Um, honestly, there's there's so many, um, but hopefully that helps a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to put in a plug for, for our pharmacy organizations. There are some that have created informatics certificate programs that a pharmacist yeah. can sit down in the comfort of their own home over 20 or 30 hours to get exposure to what pharmacy informatics is. And to be honest, I see that as kind of the foundation for jumping into AI from there. So I think pharmacy organizations are a wonderful place to start. So, Luke, I'd just love to open it up for any last thoughts or comments you have on our topic today of artificial intelligence and pharmacy. Any last things you think are important for listeners to know? Yeah, and I, I think one big thing is is that we're just getting started on how we are using artificial intelligence within healthcare. Outside of healthcare, it's used very, very differently, and it's it's more advanced because with healthcare, you have that patient. It's more uh, individualized to the care of, the, of that patient. But there's so many different things that this resource can be used for. Even another hot topic with pharmacogenomics. Mm -hmm. um, individualizing, individualizing patient care and seeing what can we learn from how our body works uh, with these medications to predict, okay, this might be something that might work for you, maybe this uh, actually might be the best option to end up even maybe changing our clinical guidelines to be more specific to the patients that we're serving and less broad. I think some other ideas uh, are this, uh, this study uh, done in Michigan on orders like me uh, is, is the concept of we're in our verification queue. We talked about this a little bit and what they did is they looked at over a span of, uh, I think it was a, a year, maybe a little more, of 
hey, these are the uh, different medications that we're using. And here's a, a common dose, a rare dose, and unprecedented dose. Organizing that information uh, and having that data uh, available to people in the queue that are verifying medications. And they come across something where, hey, I don't, is this common? Is this something that, I, I haven't seen this before. <laughs> you, can, you can click on a button. This is, again, this is an idea where you can see, hey, actually, this is common or actually this is unprecedented and I need to reach out to someone uh, or gather another perspective on that. So it's the idea of you see an order you don't recognize and you, you turn around and you ask a, a coworker, hey, we have these resources built in where we don't have to have that time used with that. And then also with another idea and uh, a touchy topic of auto verification with with pharmacists, there's we are in charge of verifying every order that goes out for the most part. Um, some exception with emergencies, um, but is that is that necessary? Uh, I I think we definitely are a medication uh, medication expert on the team, but can we use our clinical knowledge elsewhere uh, instead of potentially? Do we need to always verify like a colase dose? Uh, or can artificial intelligence say, hey, if they <laughs> have a, if they need a stool softener, then just auto verify. I think it's interesting to see what that might look like. And I know people are working on developing information to help even spur on these ideas. And it's exciting to see what that might look like. Uh, again, there's so much out there and so much still being developed, uh, but definitely an interesting topic that is impacting all of us, whether, whether you think it or not, <laughs> it really is, uh, and will continue to impact us. And, and hopefully this excites people. Um, it is not something that is going to replace us and in no way is going to replace us. It's something that allows us to really fully utilize what we have been trained to do. Yeah. Wonderful closing thoughts. Thanks, Luke. This has been a great conversation. Uh, Luke and Matt, I'm so thankful that you were able to join us for this. I'd love to talk for another couple hours, but um, <laughs> I know we have some limited time here. So again, Luke, thank you so much for joining us today. Let's talk again soon. Thanks for having me. Uh, amazing opportunity to speak with you guys on such, such a, <laughs> a hot topic. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for this episode of Disrupt a podcast from the Center for Pharmacy Innovation at Cedarville University. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and share the podcast with others. For more information on the Cedarville University School of Pharmacy and Center for Pharmacy Innovation, visit www.cedarville.edu slash pharmacy. Thanks for listening. 